Rick Madison here, Rick and Friends Show, and I'm I have a, a great guest. Now, words have been said of of how to explain this guest, um, <laughs> and, and the word lovely, uh, brilliant, and uh, and I think decadent. And I'm not sure what decadent means, decadent. but anyway, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Helen Jackman, the executive director of the Okanagan College Foundation. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Nice to see you. I want to know who said decadent. Well, I don't that, think I've ever been called decadent. That'll be revealed later on in the show. Exciting. Okay, so tell me a little bit about, and, and, and you know, tell the people that have, thank you for listening, by the way. Uh, tell, tell us what, what, what does a day look like for Helen? Like what, what is, other than reaching into the pockets of donors and helping them with their, with their purchasing decisions, but <laughs> what, what <laughs> helping them with their philanthropy, creating that's, opportunity. Oh, that's, that's it. See, see, I knew. <laughs> and, and because of that, that wonderful little, is it English accent? It, it makes is. it sound so, so proper. decadent, decadent, proper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so you've been in this position for how long? So I've been with the college, with the foundation for, you know what, it might even be three years, like this week, three years. Okay, so where did you come from? So we arrived in Canada 20, or in Kelowna 2017. Okay. I did a couple of years with United Way, and then the job came up with the college, and I was like, that's my job. <laughs> No one else can have it. No one else That's can mine. have it. I will fight anyone for it. No, it's it's an awesome job. Yeah. And so, and so, what was United Way like? What what were you doing? In that same kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I was exec director of United Way for the Southern Interior, okay. um, which was um, kind of similar to some jobs I'd done before in the UK. So in the UK, I was chief exec of a medical research charity. So I've kind of worked in the charitable field and nonprofits for a long time. Um, we arrived in Kelowna via Ontario, um, where in an interesting turn of fate, I worked in a nuclear research facility, as you do. Really? As you do, yes. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> why not? Why I don't not? know if you, a lot of people haven't, so I'm... <laughs> but you know what? They should. They definitely should. You know, yes. it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So... So wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. Kind of so interesting. So this is um this is for alternative energy nuclear. Yeah, so it's not a power station or anything. The the reason I was there, so the reason we are, were able to come to Canada because it turns out you quite selective about who you let in. My husband was in the military in the UK, so he was in the Air Force in okay. the UK and he transferred uh, to the Canadian Air Force. So we lived in a little town called Petawawa. Right. So that was a culture shock, London, England, to right. Petawawa. Because they don't wow. shut the base down at two or three o'clock for the tea, like that. No, but we obviously did at home. Like we would stop everything for tea, and people would come round, and we would, so, you know, all that jazz. <laughs> but but I've I've traveled a little bit in England, yeah. and and it 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 is actually a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Did you just go to the tourist places? Well, did you just go and see the Queen? What, what happened there? Well, she 40? did ask to see me, yeah, and I yeah. said, listen, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I'm tired. a bit busy. <laughs> like, I, I do, busy. I do love the fact that you, you know, want me, but um, no, it, it was more of um, uh, what I was hearing. So whenever I was in a, in a facility, like, because I, I do love people watching, mm -hmm. and, and, and there was just this, this 
I guess, a social aspect to, you know, having tea. And it was, I don't know if it was high tea or whatever it was, but it was basically, there's a certain point in the day where we're going to do this. Yeah, we will have afternoon. We'll have a cup of tea. Yeah. And it's not as grand as maybe it used to be. You don't all have cucumber sandwiches and scones and cakes. I love cucumber and stuff. sandwiches, oh, the best. though. Oh, the best. my God. With the crust cut off. Oh. Oh, the best. Oh. And you have tea in a china cup and all that business. Not everyone does that. But, you know, you people will sit and have a social moment, you know, have a cup of tea at work. Yeah, but I, sure. But I love that, though, because yeah. it's a time for connecting because I find in, in the North American society we don't even stop for dinner like we don't even stop to connect as as families and as people Mm -hmm. we just continue to run roughshod over the day and and uh you know our way is we will work until we fall Mm -hmm. into into bed and then start the whole thing over again and not really realize i don't know I, i think we lose a little bit of ourselves by not spending time and if it's a tea or a beer or whatever it is, but yeah. there's there's. Well, a... we have a lot of beer as well. Well, <laughs> as you should. Because you just transition from tea into the pub. That's what oh. happens. You see, it's just a segue to the <laughs> pub down the corner, and then you kind of in London, you just roll home, and it's perfect. But I and, and we're going to dive into that because there I did I did have some of my best conversations in pubs uh, when I was in England. Yeah. And yeah. it was, it well, was that's one how of... you find out about people. You talk to people when you have tea in the office and you get to know what's going on. That's how you find out really what's happening. Mm-hmm. What do you call it? A water cooler conversation? Water cooler tea? conversation. But, yeah. um, it, and it was one of those, uh, what do they call them? Bobbies or, or the police? Bobbies. Bobbies. Coppers. So I was <laughs> 17 and I was having a conversation with a, a Bobby in a pub. And mm-hmm. I said... And I said, uh, he said, how how old are you here on a school trip? And I said, oh, I'm I'm 17. He goes, oh, oh, he's get out. <laughs> he goes, you should get out. And yeah. I, and I I said, uh, oh, or am I not of age? And he says, no. But he said, after your next beer, have you know? <laughs> after your next beer, <laughs> buy then, me one, and then you can yeah. leave. Yeah. So I was in Hyde Park, in in London, and a fellow came up and he said. Uh, you've got to give me, uh, you know, 20 pence for the rental of the Queen's chairs or something like that. Oh, yeah, the de- stripy deck chairs. Yeah. In Hyde Park, yeah. And I said, this has got to be a scam. Is it real? Yeah, of course. You're renting a little chair that you can sit on, and there's, there's a guy in a hut, and he brings them out, and you sit on a little chair. Because uh, these chairs were already out, though. Well, you might have been scammed in that case. Because yeah. Because you might... Did you have your, like... Canadian, what do we, what, I oh, bomb yeah. bag or like a t-shirt there, there or something. Was, he went, okay, they'll give me 20 pence. When you have a, a camera and a hat and a Canadian flag, yeah. I think it kind of screams, take money from yeah, me. Best yeah, best to just look busy, walk with purpose. Mm-hmm. If necessary, you know, jolt a few people. And, right. And nobody will ever ask you for 20 pence. Oh, oh I have a signature walk. <laughs> That is, like people actually don't even come around when they see it, yeah, you know, because yeah. it, it's, it, it just says, something. It's like, like stay, he's on. either got a condition or he's in a hurry. I don't know. <laughs> <Or both. laughs> so you, um, do you miss London or do you miss England? Yeah, there's tons of things that I miss about London. Um, I lived and worked in, in London after university, kind of through my 20s and 30s and like did everything that you should do like I believe that everybody should go and live in a big city like mm-hmm. a big city for a couple of years and just experience it so that was awesome and then um 
yeah, got married, had a little boy, right. realized that maybe life needed a slightly different pace. Um, <laughs> maybe living with my husband was a, was a novelty. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Um, so we did that. And then, yeah, we, yeah, we've kind of planned our, tr- our transition to Canada. Um, but did yeah, you- but you're to your point, I think, um, there's lots of things I miss. The the pubs, definitely. Right. Um, the kind of the culture, the history, the architecture, all of that stuff that you get in London, which is kind of unique for those things. But I mainly miss my family because we don't have any family or connections here. What was interesting when I was, again, spending time with pubs, maybe I was a bit early for that, but um, was this that everyone had... Um, someone they could chat with like there was nobody alone in mm-hmm. the pub and mm-hmm. it seemed like you went to the pub before you went home like that was what you did and and I think a, not every day not not every day but, but it's I, definitely a social it, it, it's a, there's a transition from work to home or oh, we'll go for a quick drink after work mm-hmm. and you can do that because in a big city like London you've got access to public transport like you that you, nobody bothers driving into London you just jump on the bus or the tube and you and you go home and that's and that's your kind of social network after work yeah. and and that was just it is it's yeah. it's not necessarily about the drinking no it's more about that you Decom- know decompression after work and, lots and of, connecting. You know, it's, it's you know it's a like any big city it's and well work these days right it's stressful so mm-hmm. you um yeah you decompress and you hang out and have fun. <laughs> and even during COVID, like there was actually, it was interesting because I was reading about these these pubs that were, you know, quiet. And it was literally creating this this untold, uh, not civil unrest, but, but right up there because people had been going to the pub for years, like decades. And their, their grandfather and their father and like all the people mm-hmm. they knew, that was part of your day. Not, and, and again, not to just, it's not about the beer. It was more about the, the meeting up with yeah. your people and, yeah. and just being able to decompress and chat and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and they weren't able to do that. And I think that was one of the biggest issues was people felt truly, truly isolated. Yeah, truly isolated. And, you, you know, it's not the same on Zoom. No. Mm. No, it never is. No. And I find <laughs> Zoom exhausting. Oh, my God. It's so exhausting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm, Yeah. And I don't think we realized how exhausting and how isolated we were coming out of that until we started getting back into it. I don't know. It brought my inner introvert out in a horrible way, all of the mm-hmm. COVID thing, I'm sure, for lots of people. But, you know, I think, OK, I can do this. I can cope. But mm, I was so much happier when we got the chance to go back to the office properly and be with the team and be with a wider circle of people. Yeah. Well, and, and as you know, I as a... As someone who was able to teach at the college, I was really happy we could do in-person teaching oh, yeah. and, and yeah. be able to see the students. And, and there's just so many visual cues that happen. And you, you're never quite aware of them, especially when you go to Zoom mm-hmm. and you realize, why is this so exhausting? I'm yeah. supposed to only be looking at one person, mm-hmm. but there wasn't, I don't know, it would just, it took something away and made it harder. Yeah, but think about it for those students. I think the for those students like going through grade 12 and those students starting in higher education through covid and you know what a there's so much more to higher education than the learning it's the social side of things it's the networks you create and the people that you meet and the relationships you form with your instructors and your friends like that's that's rough to not have to 
have that opportunity and that experience and yeah I mean we were really we were really fortunate at the college because the classes are smaller so we were really only fully online uh, depending on your program for like a couple of months and then for business I guess where you were teaching it's a little bit more tricky a lot of that was online but for the trades and the health sciences and you know all those practical programs you can't learn how to fix a car unless you get your hands in there right so <laughs> so they rescheduled everything chopped the classes in half so even smaller and then yeah just brought people back and cycled through the kind of practical side of things and did, did the theory online so the yeah the college was pretty fortunate so if you were a student there you were in a pretty good spot but I still think it's been tough super tough for students so you you were able to see I guess how um because I was imagining you would be brought into a lot of meetings as far as transitioning through COVID and, and a lot of secondary learning institutions really had to to juggle and there was a lot of moving parts to make sure a learning happened mm-hmm. and, and that students felt comfortable and that faculty felt comfortable and but how did how did because you run the foundation, were people still able to to reach into their pockets? Was it a still a, a generous time I guess or was didn't was there a blip in in donations as well during yeah. COVID yeah it's interesting I think I think straight off where were we March 2020 the first couple of months maybe around the 15th at about three o'clock I think 16th too uh, I think it was actually yes, I think yeah. you're fine yeah but for 16 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> still like emblazoned on our hearts um yeah I think that there was a couple of months there where uh, Everyone was a little bit frozen and paralyzed, you know, nobody knew quite how this was going to play out. And so we, we, we were nervous as well from a fundraising point of view, because, you know, the the foundation is purely the fundraising arm of the college. That's what we do. Right. So, um, yeah, we were a little bit anxious. And I think a lot of people that worked in fundraising where there were lots of conversations between organizations about, well, what do we do? Do we carry on asking? Like we, the world had just tipped upside down, hadn't it? So... Um, we were quite cautious about continuing to ask, but we recognised there were some different kinds of student needs, right? There were students that were, had lost their part-time jobs. They didn't have any money coming in. So, um, and there were projects that we were in the midst of fundraising for, like the Health Sciences Centre. We couldn't, it was continuing to go up. We couldn't stop doing that. So we kind of paused a little bit just to sort of get the lay of the land, Um and then we recognised that actually donors give to the college or whatever their chosen cause is because they're passionate about making a difference in that field. And for us to deny them that opportunity and not make them aware of some of the changing needs or the different kinds of needs presented because of COVID was actually being a bit arrogant. Like, who are we to say that they didn't want to continue to give? Right, so, exactly. So, um, yeah, we had a little bit of a hiatus there, but we quickly recognised that people still wanted to support, and especially, you know, those donors who directly support students through, like, scholarships and bursaries and all that kind of stuff. They they wanted to know, well, what do students need? So mm-hmm. we saw quite a lot of... Um, we created a kind of emergency fund. We had another fund because the other piece was that some students, contrary to what you might think, didn't even come to school with a laptop. Right. We had students with just a phone and you can't really do your online all your online learning no you can't so 
yeah, so we had to make sure we got better access to laptops and that kind of stuff. So yeah, people did did continue to give. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't. We didn't see any any dip in kind of revenue. Isn't that make you feel good though? It it does. And I it, mean, it, I know good work. Yeah, no. By the way, but it's testament to our community actually. You know that we have. Um, you know, we've got a very generous community and a very generous community of donors that believe in education and they wanted to make sure that students could could get through it. Um, so, yeah, that was it was it was definitely encouraging. It's not to say we didn't have to do a whole ton of things differently. Like you, you can't meet people. And part of the joy of being involved in working with donors is you get to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't all want to meet on Zoom, funnily enough. We had lots of driveway, <laughs> driveway teas, <laughs> cups of tea on driveways. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah. But but making it work, I think, is, is one of the, the mantras of, mm-hmm. of being able to be in your position is how do we, how do we pivot yeah. to, to make sure that we still address the needs? And, and again, you said it best. They wanted to give. Yeah. And, and to take that away was arrogant. Yeah, so interesting. Totally. Yeah. 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 So we just had to find different ways to connect and different ways to inspire people. Um, we couldn't do the typical kind of events. And we were in the middle of fundraising for the Health Sciences Center, which um, was our major priority at that point. We would do that by bringing people onto the campus and getting them excited about what the center was going to look like. So... Yeah, we had to do video tours and smaller groups and that things. But we, yeah, we kind of figured our way through it. It was, yeah, it, a lot of a lot of creativity required. But, but you know, it was good. It was good. <laughs> we learned a lot about ourselves as well. So it, it takes a team, obviously. Uh, how big is, is the foundation at the college? Is there three people, two people? I know, you know, of course, Sasha Carter is one oh, of yeah. those. Oh, yeah, yeah, Excellent curler, by the way. Isn't she? I would love to be part of a, a rec curling team and then just say, oh, I've got a friend of mine. She wants to cut. She has yeah, nothing I mean, else to do. Yeah, she, she might not be very good. Yeah. But she's going to make up the numbers. She's going to throw the rocks and just see how it goes. See how it goes, I know. I love bringing a good ringer. Like yeah. if there's, she could just kind of swan in at the end as a yeah. surprise, yeah, you know, maybe say, looking a bit, you know, like she doesn't yeah. really know what she's doing. Actually, if she could just kind of trip on the ice a yeah. little bit and then Fall you're like, <laughs> and then boom, <laughs> just, Do you know, she's got like a life size cardboard cutout sign of herself outside of the town that she comes from in, I'm going to get this wrong. She's Manitoba girl. <laughs> oh, sorry, Sash. I know you've told me a million times. Does she? Yeah. She's kind of famous. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I could probably go to that place in Manitoba and say... Let's please hope we've got the province right. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure it's Manitoba. It's got to be Manitoba. Be. Yeah. And then just, just go around and just say, yeah, I'm good friends with Sash. And, yeah. you know, she said I should eat here and then hopefully get a couple free meals out of it. I'm pretty sure that yeah. would happen. And if you did that walk... Oh, the... the <laughs> The signature walk. The signature walk. Then yeah. People will literally be handing you. Yeah. Yeah. They're like he's yeah. he's he's quite affected. Yeah. So. So she's going to actually do a little team building thing for us as a team. Mm. Um, at the foundation. So you could be maybe you could be a guest. Um, oh. you could come along. That'd be fun. Like a curling team, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Because like, oh. none of us. Well, I certainly. No, I don't know anything about. It. I'm British. For goodness' sake, I don't know anything about curling. <laughs> well 
I even call it hockey, ice hockey, just to make sure it's clear which hockey I'm talking about, because it could be field hockey. <laughs> well, and, 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 and over to your side of the pond, yeah. uh, soccer, soccer, you know, footy. Well, we don't call it soccer, so it's taken me, so my son plays soccer. Okay. Which I call football, but of course I can't call it football here. No. Because it's totally the wrong sport. Yeah. But why would they, why would, as a group, you decide on a sport that there's clearly something, you know, foot, I mean, footy, mm. footy. I think football. Oh, it's been around forever, first. forever. No question. Controversial. But I mean, this is the, the most controversial part of our show. <laughs> Don't get me commenting on sports. It's not my area. <laughs> but I mean, it is because you, you obviously have, uh, it's a beautiful game. I played it mm-hmm. not very well, but I played it. And, and to me, I would love to go to a, a, a football match in, in Europe. Best thing ever. So it my, is, da- my dad was actually, in his younger years, he's, he's not with us anymore, sadly, but he, was, he played football professionally for Bolton Wanderers. Really? Which is, wasn't quite the team that it is today <laughs> when he played for them. But yeah, so maybe there's something in my genes. I don't know, my son. So my son loves soccer. And and would you would you describe? I've heard the energy and the atmosphere is electric. Oh my gosh! Yeah, if you go to a really big game, incredible. like a Premier League. Yeah, yeah, and but rugby as well. So my husband's more of a rugby player. But yeah, there's a different. Well, I can't say different, but there's a there's a unique atmosphere in a big football game in the UK. And I don't know. Back to sorry, back to the beer. It's going to make me sound like I'm a little bit obsessed. But you can have a beer in a stadium. Yes. You go and have a pie and a pint. <laughs> a pie. A pie. Yeah. What kind of pie? Usually a meat pie. Okay. They probably do. Like a shepherd's pie. Uh, no, like a pie with a pie lid on, and oh. there's meat in the middle of it, and you okay. have you you just eat it with your hand, and you have a pint, and it's like the yeah, it's a good thing. I'm sure they probably have vegan versions now as well, but because <laughs> yes. you yeah. yeah. And for the pescatarian, to yes. have something else entirely. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> okay, so we're we're chatting about beer. Uh, because you Again? know, I no, I, it's just because you're English and, okay. and and you know, you've driven by pubs, yeah. But when I was there, Foster's, and and I know it's actually not an English brew, Australian, I know, mm-hmm. but I would have that with a bit of lime, mm. and it was interesting because people said, Oh, yeah, hmm. yeah well, you see, British beer is mm-hmm. usually warm and flat, really not cold and fizzy. So, oh. yeah, there's a very big difference. That's terrible. Well, yes, you have to get, it's a kind of a more of an acquired taste, I would say. Yeah. So, and then flat, too. Flatter than, well, not as fizzy as Foster's or those kind of lagers. So yeah. not as carbonated. Not so, as carbonated. So why, so that's how you can drink more. Because if, if you don't have the fizzy bubbles... Yes, that's probably true. You can probably yeah, do okay. Yeah, I'm not a huge beer drinker. My husband could chat to you better about this. But yeah, warm and flat. And he's from Petawawa. Oh, no, he's British. Okay, but what what was he doing in Petawawa? Oh, he went to... So or is it classified? Because it's so much fun if it's classified. Top secret. <laughs> don't tell anybody. I have to shoot you. <laughs> no, he was... So he's actually a... He's a helicopter pilot. Ooh. So he flies Chinooks, you know, the really big... This is as technical as I get. The two, they have and, the two And right now she's rotating both, both her hands. hands. Wacka, wacka, wacka. That's the noise that they make. You can hear them coming. Those huge, big, you know, the huge, big. Oh, that's a yeah. big Chinook. So he yeah. flew them. Uh, he was actually, after a long career, the an instructor 
so the chief instructor in the RAF for the Chinooks. Okay. And so the Canadian Air Force were establishing a Chinook squadron in Petawawa. So Trist and a bunch of other guys came over from the UK to kind of help figure that piece out. Mm. So that's that's how we arrived in Petawawa. So did you fall in love with him because he was a uh, helicopter pilot or because he was just a really nice... Because if I no. was a pilot, I would throw helicopter keys under a table Yeah, no, you see, all that the time. No, that didn't really do it. No? Because no, he was... Well, and I wasn't really intending to marry into the military. That was not part of my plan. But he swept you all. off your feet. I like, to, I like to think I swept him off his feet, to be honest. Oh, that's, that's a the good other way around. little twist yes. there. <laughs> so. He was like, what can I, who can I marry? Oh, look, she works in charity. I know where I'm going. <laughs> and there you go. The rest is history. It was just a... He was like, I'm just a helicopter pilot. What do I know? going to find somebody really exciting she works in charity so that must have actually created a little bit of discord the fact that you worked in charity because we all know what charities pay which is not not well so he wasn't marrying you for the money (laughs) (laughs) i like to think it was more to do with my charm wit intelligence that kind of thing i don't know your decadence yes yeah my decadence yeah yeah um so he was he a helicopter pilot when you met him? He was, yeah. So he went, he did like aeronautical engineering or something like that. Nerdy oh, he must be a great at guy at parties. He's a great guy at parties. And then he went, yeah, he went into, in fact, he started in the army and he flew for the Air Corps and he did like Afghanistan and Iraq and all that kind really? of business. Yeah. So he's done all that like stuff. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. So he's like, a, he was a military guy, but I mean, he's not in the military anymore. You you don't really have that in clone. <laughs> But his military career was kind of coming to an end, and we figured that um, we would do this move to Canada. We actually emigrated to Canada, so it was a kind of permanent thing. Right. We knew we Canada had always been on our list. In fact, he thought we thought about moving and him coming out of the military in 2008, and we had this crazy idea of doing some sort of ski chalet type outdoor stuff because mm. we're skiers and mountain bikers and all that kind of stuff. Oh, fun! And the economy kind of tanked, and we decided that was a bad idea. So. Yeah, timing. Timing was not on our side, but fast forward, and then this opportunity came up, and we were like, okay, this is going to get us to Canada. So that's what brought us here. Yeah. Okay, so England is a small island with a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And for you, Canada represented a really big landmass with not a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So you don't like people? Can't bear them. Which is, makes my job a little tricky. <laughs> it has a couple of wrinkles in it. Yeah. I really don't like people. No, no. I, I love people. Um, what, I, what, what was challenging in the UK is that doing anything, especially in the South where we lived, doing anything is just challenging. Like getting anywhere is challenging. You want to go 10 miles down the road, you can sit in traffic for two hours. Um, and I think we just we we lived a great lifestyle in London and we just all the things that we were loving doing outside of work involved us driving down to the south of France or to Wales or Scotland to mountain bike or ski or do all of that kind of stuff and we started coming more to North America to ski 
And we were like, oh, hold on. <laughs> this, this looks is pretty, pretty nice. good. This is pretty nice. <laughs> this is pretty good. There's more space. There's like, yeah, just... And I think that it's great experience to go and live somewhere completely different. Like, and we just, like, it's Aren't a, you an adventurous well, sort? Well, you know, tip your life upside down sometimes and go and do something different. And, yeah, it was, you know, we were, um, Ollie, who's our son, was three when we left the UK. And so that was quite a conscious decision as well, timing for him. Like, where did we want him to grow up? Um, and it wasn't that we wanted to, you know, take him away from our family. I mean... That's what they still think, and they still hold it against us. But no, no, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, just the opportunities for him here um, to do things that we, you know, we weren't always able to do when we were in the UK growing up, just because it's not on your doorstep, you know. And and I've heard this from people that live in Toronto: is that mm-hmm. if you want to go mountain biking, it's it, you can do one thing, but it's going to take all day. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. to do it and then a long time to get back so as long as you have the whole day yeah you're good then but my a friend of mine who does that he said but we wanted to paddleboard and we wanted to mountain yeah. bike and we wanted to to do other things with yep. our kids not just one activity so yep. he he just said Kelowna represents you know a multi-season totally. playground yeah where can you be up on the hill in the morning skiing some of the best ski skiing anywhere and then down on knocks in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That well, doesn't, you know, that's not that's not everywhere you can do that. Uh, so friends of mine, I, I can't remember what part of the season they do this, but they they ski in the morning, then they water ski, and they also play golf all in the same day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, probably like April, March, yeah. April. Yeah, because you can. Yeah, and then you can go to the winery or whatever, well. and go and eat some great food. Like this is an amazing place. Yeah, and I, it's and it's a internationally. I think it's probably becoming more known. But when we first moved from Ontario to Kelowna, people were like, "Where are you? Where? What's that?" And then we have people that from the UK that come and visit, and they're like dumbstruck, like, "Really? Wow!" Okay, so you may or may not have stats about college, and 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 I think some people may or may not have an idea of kind of economic impact that spreads across the board because there's multi like there's more than one campus. Um, but give me some idea and, and the listeners, uh, some idea of, of, I guess the reach, the, the width and breadth and all that kind of, mm-hmm. those kind of words. Yeah. So Okanagan college has four campuses. So we have right from the U S border. So we have uh, a campus in Penticton, Kelowna, Vernon, Salmon Arm, a little centre in Revelstoke. So this huge, big region. Um, And across that, typically we have around 19,000, 20,000 students a year. Really? So, yeah, pretty pretty significant. Um, And about, we think about 85% of those students stay to live and work in the Okanagan. So the college is really driving the economic and social fabric of of the Okanagan in terms of skills needs and uh, recruitment needs and that's huge at the moment so um, yeah it's it's a pretty big institution um, and, and is there any kind of stats and, and again so if a student goes to school here then they get a job here and then they live here I mean the, the ripple effect and I'm thinking purely capitalism mm-hmm. <laughs> 
but there's got to be a pretty good price tag on each each student that does that as far as the economic impact ripple effect over the course like i mean that's yeah so there's there's some stats that suggest that the college overall has about a billion dollar economic impact in the region so for every tax dollar invested in the college it generates about 16 dollars in tax savings Hmm. so it's um it's a pretty big um contributor to the regional economy and then if you think that um you know each of those students has a different level of spending power and economic prospects and financial security when they come out because the most of those students are walking straight into jobs so it's a pretty yeah it's a pretty significant driver of the economy i would say so let's talk a bit about that billion dollars is what the college represents contributes um and 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 i guess um some people may or may not know of the different trades that emerge from the college. So maybe you can give us just a, a rough idea of, of some of the trades that come out of the college. Because we are in a skilled labor shortage mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And and we're going to chat a bit about ways that we're addressing that with the college. But maybe give us some idea of, of some of the trades that come out of the college. Yeah. So college has about 160 different programs so from short like certificates through two-year diplomas to four-year degree programs one six zero yeah yeah wow. um but within you know four or five different big areas so trades so in that sense everything from automotive piping plumbing welding i don't know Automotive, what did I say? Construction, <laughs> carpentry, like all of those incredible yes. skilled trades mm-hmm. um, through health science programs. So that's uh, nursing, healthcare assistants, dental assistants, therapists assistants, all of those incredible professions that are on the front lines mm-hmm. in terms of healthcare uh, through engineering. So civil engineering tech and uh, information tech, network tech. Um, and then an amazing business school. You know that because you've been involved. Oh, like I mean, the business school. I don't know how they attract these instructors, but they do. One of the special <laughs> things is the quality of the instructors, especially in the business school. Well, well. Do go on. <laughs> no, but the, the, well, just take the business school, for example. I mean, the, that school is punching above its weight in all sorts of ways. Like the competitions that those students win nationally, competing with like really established schools and universities. Um, They are an incredible group. I mean, just like all of the students at the college, like I'm totally drunk the Kool-Aid on the college. (laughs) But this, you know, the students are, um, yeah, they're going into professions that are in huge demand. I mean, trades is a, the, the trades programs are case in point, you know, those, those, some of the students that would typically be coming to the college right now are actually working mm-hmm. because they're, they're in such demand and such need. So, you know, it's kind of cyclical. It'll come back. But, um, yeah, and the trade, I don't know if you've been in the trades training center on the campus. So, you know, as a, as somebody who's part of the faculty, what I did have was different emails saying, hey, if you need your tires changed, mm. you know, students want to Crack change. Crack windshields. Yeah. Chips in your paint. So it was just wonderful to have that kind of, um, I guess, support and service yeah. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But that, that center 
the Trades Training Centre, like you know most of the newer facilities on the college campus, when you go in there, you get this incredible sense of like pride and confidence and aspiration. So why should those trade students not be learning in this incredible state-of-the-art facility? Like it's beautiful, it's beautifully designed. The shops have got the most incredible like state-of-the-art equipment and facilities. And um, you know, to the back to the foundation, like that's possible because donors choose to give. So we raise like eight million. Excuse me, my stomach's wrong. <laughs> Hope I'm no one sorry. heard that. I didn't have any lunch yet. <laughs> Eight million dollars for that trades training centre was given by the Eight community. Million. Yeah, really. So, um, yeah, they and and it's that hands-on, that ability to have access to hands-on equipment and uh, kind of educational training aids that sets the college apart. So we could go on and on about the amazing instructors you you attract, <laughs> like amazing, brilliant, brilliant has been used, uh, intellectually gifted, what have you. Okay. So that all being said, um, tell me about this nuclear research facility. Oh, so yeah. you, you, you yeah. were mentioning, mm-hmm. you, you know, because that is part and parcel with moving to Canada is you go work in a nuclear facility. I mean, that was part of the, yeah, it was, it was, it was on the list. What, yeah. what am I going to do when I get there? Yeah. Pretty sure there'll be a nuclear research facility in the, you know, in the area. I'll, and walk right in. I'll walk right in. Yeah. But actually, that's actually <laughs> Well, no. So we we arrived in Petawawa and I'd been doing the job I had in the UK for six or seven years. And I was kind of ready. It was a it was a big job. It was like my first chief exec's job. And I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to take a bit of time, see how the land lies. This is a new adventure. We'll get settled. And I was, uh, I think, intellectually struggling with boredom after about two months. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? So you've got this. And I didn't I don't think anything could have prepared me for quite how um, small and sort of isolated Petawara is. There's, you know, two, there's, well, there's the the military base. And that's not for me. I was not about to go and work on the military base. No? <laughs> no. No, I'll, let, I'll leave that to Tristan. That's fine. Um, and and then I've rig- figured out there's this uh, place up the road in this community called Deep River, about 40 minutes up the road, Mm. that has this nuclear research facility. So this is Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. And I'm like, sure. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why not? So I saw this job and I was like, okay, it was a business analyst or something. And I was like, okay, um, we'll give this a go. And I think I was, I started on the Tuesday. And it was actually one of the coolest things. I was there for two years working on a specific project, but it was it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Because you know when you do something that pushes you completely out of your comfort zone? Yes. Um, so they were like, well, what do you know about the nuclear industry? And I was like, well, nothing. You can see that. I'm not going to try and make up that I know anything about this, but I do know how to do these things. Uh, but hold on. Your resume must have been fairly robust to even get the interview. Yeah. So yeah. what have you got as far as degrees and background? So I did, I actually did an English degree, which doesn't set you up particularly well for the nuclear industry. <laughs> and then I, I did I like a know. media that's, that's cultural theory glove. masters. Oh, you have the English degree. Yeah, yeah okay. they're like, okay, come and do this. How, do you know how to make tea? I said, yes, of course. Yes, sandwiches. Of course. Um, cucumbers. Cucumber sandwiches. But, but I did a... Um, uh, when I, I worked for, actually started out working for central government in the UK, so I did a lot of policy work and um, and um, did some time at London Business School. So I've got like 
And a lot of a lot of what I was actually doing when I went to, um, and I don't know whether this was intended as part of the job, but what I ended up doing was kind of translating things between different groups. So there was it was an interesting time to do that job because on the day that I started, the uh, site actually transitioned to a GoCo model, like government-owned contractor-operated. Mm. So this huge consortium companies came in to to essentially run the labs for the Canadian government. And it's a huge facility. There's like 3,000 people that work there. That's big. And you don't hear anything about it. No, no. And they are are a little bit more uh, public now about some of the work they do. So they do, they look at decommissioning, they look at future health technologies, cancer treatments and that kind of thing. They create isotopes for that. They do work around future energy they do um yeah all that kind of future facing technology because i'm just from the standpoint of you know i i I think there's a lot of information out there some of it is not true and some of Mm -hmm. it is in regards to nuclear energy Mm -hmm. and the fact that many people smarter than i am have have said on the record, yeah, no, if, if I was to pick one energy that mm-hmm. has a really in, an amazing future, mm-hmm. and that is nuclear energy for clean yeah. and, 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 and really um, to be able to serve the needs of Canadians for years to come, ROI, like there was a whole bunch of lists mm-hmm. for nuclear energy. And I was, you know, in, in an oil and gas country that was kind of interesting to me but it takes infrastructure and money and all that kind of stuff and i'm not going to do a rant about the federal government (laughs) i'm just going to talk about the fact that this is a very interesting topic that i think a lot of people should probably dive deeper into. i think so and i think there's a lot of misinformation about it and a lot of stigma associated with it so um but and it wasn't and it's something that was an education for me working there like it was um it was clearly not a field that I knew an awful lot about but having to go somewhere and be fairly credible fairly quickly and learn a reasonable amount about amount about it it's um I certainly left having a completely different opinion on the possibilities of nuclear energy so as you sit here today mm -hmm. would you say that you would be an advocate for nuclear energy moving forward under the right circumstances, probably, yeah. Oh, yeah. good good caveat yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. They're doing a lot of work on small, they're called small modular reactors. Mm-hmm. Um, that can, uh, because of, the, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know about the technology, but that they, they offer a lot of potential. And, you know, some of the very big incidents that have happened have been because you've got these huge, big reactors. Mm-hmm. But you make them smaller, safer. So there's lots of research going on. And they're, they're doing, that's what they're doing. They're trying to do a lot of research to um, provide future solutions. Right. So really, a really interesting place. So when you walk in for a job interview at a nuclear research facility <laughs> or at the college, just having the English accent probably helps immensely. Yeah. Because yeah. you can say proper and, and people would be like, wow, yeah. that, that seems like she would be the person we need for this job. Because yeah. Communicating anything, any kind of narrative. Well, I see. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. I've heard people have said that to me, but I, I guess I'm. I've had this accent for my whole life, funnily enough, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't recognize that as much. But, but yeah, I, maybe. But you can 
so if, if you were going to a donor's and saying, you know, I need, so I could say, we're going to need $100,000. It sounds a little bit on, on the rougher side of things. But when you say, I would like a check for $100,000. Would you like to invest $100,000? See, see. would that just make you com- feel great? It just, yeah. it just it's inspiring <laughs> versus what I just did. Mine was just, Give us a hundred grand, love. Yeah, there's there's push and there's pull. Yeah, you just pull. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't so, know. Maybe so, it does have its advantages. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh! It does. <laughs> so part of it is though is is there a there there must be some some words that you would use in order to that that resonate with donors. What are some of those words that resonate with them? Because mm. clearly people are writing some pretty big checks. Yeah. And and so it's important to make sure that you're using the language that's important to them. Yeah, you know, it's I would say it's less about the language. Um although there is there is that, but just to kind of dis, maybe dispel a few myths about fundraising, very rarely do I have to ask anybody for anything. Really? Yeah, because it's about relationships. So, um, so that some of the donors that I get, you know, and it honestly is a privilege to get to know what they're passionate about. It's about understanding what their philanthropic goals are. Um, you know, we're never, I think you used a phrase, I'm taking money out of people's pockets. I'm like, did I, you did at the beginning. <laughs> and it's not, it's not at all about that really. Mm. It's about understanding what people are passionate about and where they want to have an impact. Um, and and helping them to figure out if they're passionate about education well, what, what does that mean where could you invest in the college and what are the opportunities is it health or is it business or is it trades is it to create an amazing new facility like the health science center or the trades training center or is it some is do you want to give directly to students like do you want to help a student succeed do you want to give them a bursary or a scholarship so and that relationship the development of those relationships can take a year or longer and you know we don't just work with a donor and then not work with them anymore like th- that relationship continues so we have donors that have been giving some of them to the college for like more than 25 years like they they believe passionately in investing in education because they see it changes students lives it changes the lives of their families and it changes the community so, what was what's interesting is um so i'm as you know part of a group of business people mm-hmm. And they wanted to give back. And, and due to the founder really having a, an affiliation with the college, mm-hmm. you know, that was really one of his uh, legacies was making sure that that continued. And, and as I took over helping facilitate the group, um, that was important to me to carry on as well. But it's true what you say about its relationship. And I think if there was... If there wasn't a lot of the building blocks that were already established, mm-hmm. then... You know, it would have been a group where there's lots of worthwhile causes in in Kelowna. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone just kind of kept pushing towards the college because mm-hmm. they all run businesses. They all have that that ripple effect that the college provides mm-hmm. in, in, in way of engagement and labor and all those other things. Yeah. So it's true what you say about it. It doesn't necessarily, it's not an ask. It's more about how do we best create the venue for this to happen yeah so my job is finding out what donors or groups like the one you're talking about are passionate and interested in and then figuring out what's the connection at the college and that that particular example was 
interesting. So we, we would usually um, ensure that the student who received the support from that group um, came and met with them every mm-hmm. year. And like, that's so cool when you get to that. I think that's one of my favorite bits of my job when you get to connect the donor who's given a thousand dollars or eight thousand dollars or whatever it is directly mm-hmm. with the student that receives that gift like and those those gifts to students are you know they genuinely can make the difference between that student you know quitting because they're having to work multiple jobs and especially now because things are so expensive and being able to succeed and like complete their program so it genuinely is like life-changing and then you see that connection that's pretty cool yeah you've lived in Kelowna for how long three uh no since 2017 okay thoughts i i mean obviously you, you you came from i think a larger no Petawala? Well, via Petawala, but london I okay was in london, yeah. and, and so what is your what were you seeking and did it happen in 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 regards to choosing this community um quality of life was a big a big piece access to the things that we love you know the outdoor stuff that's here um climate it doesn't rain quite so much (laughs) (laughs) and I love the seasons Um, so there's all of those kind of physical attributes of being here and the access that it gives us but the community here is incredible like I got to know a lot of people quite quickly Um, I think because of the job I did initially here before the college Um, so I had this opportunity to meet incredible people in the community and then um, we've made some great friends, mainly through like mountain biking and all that kind of stuff. But, it helps to be school. active. Yeah, it do- totally does. And then also, you know, my son's school, so I'm, you know, met a lot of the, the parents and all that kind of thing. But it's, um, and then working with the donors that I get to work with in the community, like, and it's not just Kelowna, it's Penticton and Vernon that we get to, through my job, get to kind of connect with people. And yeah, it's, um, I don't know what was your question. Met expectations. It's well, definitely met our expectations. But but I think the part of it is when you live here for any length of time, you know, you just it's like furniture. Like you stop noticing the furniture, and and I think a lot of people they, you know, for fresh eyes they mm. they forget they forget where they are. And I'm not saying people are ungrateful. But no, but you take things for granted when you're used to them. Absolutely. Not, the novelty isn't there anymore, is it? But yeah, no, we haven't stopped appreciating it. Like I wake up in the morning and look out the window and think, wow, like that's pretty cool. And, and it's funny too, because when people have to drive, so when tourists show up, and thank you for showing up with your wallet, mm-hmm. uh, but July and August... They're just, I cannot believe it took me 30 minutes to get through town. Like, do you do you chuckle when I you do. hear that? I chuckle inside a lot. <laughs> like, oh, it took you two minutes more to do your journey. Like, oh. Well, you know, having, and I do understand why it frustrates people. Because um, it's just not what you're used to, is it? Like, it's an inconvenience. But mm-hmm. um, when I was in London, like, you can't, you can't drive into town without paying the congestion charge, which you have to pay automatically from a thing in your car you know it's like when I was there it was ten dollars ten pounds a day what? to just drive into London so so what is what happens you drive by a camera and it's, yeah. it sees so it's your like license a, plate the whole of central London is called the congestion congestion charge zone so you drive through and it picks your license plate and you automatically get ten pounds deducted so if you're going to really? drive into London it's and then parking forget it like you can't park anywhere in central London 60 pounds to park for a couple of hours and then your car gets towed and 
But the difference is, though, is that you've got a city of, what, 10, 11 million people mm-hmm. and the public transport, the infrastructure is there, which, you know, we don't unfortunately have yet here. It's, we have public transport, but it's not it's not on the same scale just because of density of population. Like my son and my son, like, mommy, where are the trains? Oh, we don't have any trains. <laughs> Where's the tube? Can I get on the tube now? <laughs> you know, cute, but... Yeah, so it's just it's just different, but I but I do I do chuckle a little bit, and I, but I also find having said that I do also find myself a little bit annoyed, like oh my, fifteen minutes into work, what? <laughs> I said I have a two hour journey. Okay, so your son asks, "Where's the tube?" Um, does he have an English accent? Oh, it's funny. So he he does sometimes. So it depends who he's talking to. So he can be in a room with Tristan and I, my husband, yeah, and some of his friends from school or whatever will be in the same room and he will turn to Tris and I and say something in a British accent and then turn back to his friends in this sort of North American faux Canadian I don't know what it is accent yeah That's so fine. he just well, flips like naturally so he's, he's a true hybrid yes he is a true hybrid but he's yeah but we're both we're all Canadian citizens as well now oh, congratulations yeah, and you. welcome thank you um, so part of that is so you see Kelowna, and again, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm pushing you out on a ledge here, because that's what I do. But I'm just wondering, as someone who comes from London, and as someone who is, you know, you, you've traveled, mm-hmm. you've, you've seen more of the world than maybe some, but would you say that we're in a pivotal point to build infrastructure for moving people around? Like, is that, is that something we should all be thinking about or dealing with or and i'm not saying it's not happening but just from your perspective is is uh could that be one of the the mainstays for concerns issues moving forward is we need to start really thinking about how we're going to move people around this city mm-hmm. it seems to me like Kelowna is at this maybe it's a transition that cities of a certain size just take growing from i don't know what are we growing from a small to medium city or medium to large some there's a transition happening we certainly i don't think that we necessarily have the infrastructure in lots of places just yet whether that's childcare or health access to health or roads and transport and maybe it's just a natural evolution of needing to put some different things in places in place to transition to being able to cope with the larger population and we're, and we're continuing to grow right so yeah yeah so i don't necessarily have the solution to how you fix that i'm not a politician come, come but. on <laughs> helen I thought. stop the tea at 4 p.m <laughs> maybe that's just it mm-hmm. we get some of the brightest minds together for tea mm-hmm. and we just knock it out on our napkin yeah it's tricky though isn't it you know look at like housing and i know you're passionate about homelessness and affordable mm-hmm. housing and access accessible housing sustainable housing all of those pieces so yeah it's going to take some uh, some some bright minds and some innovative ideas yeah going yeah. forward yeah and i think that the college is thinking about the contribution that it can make to some of those challenges so not just you know addressing the skills needs but where where does some new thinking need to happen or some new solutions need to happen around housing or climate change and sustainable construction and all those kind of pieces. So, um, yeah, bringing some of those bright minds, whether it's the faculty and the professors and the students. Um, yeah, I think the college wants to be part of the solution to some of those things. So as somebody that's closely related and, and associated with the college, um, 
it, it must be it must come up almost every term that we're starting to have some some concerns surrounding student housing and it must be one of those ongoing topics subjects that you have to be aware of and i would think you would have to be you know whether or not you want to be pulled into that conversation but it's it is one of those things mm -hmm. that is truly going to be for the university as well that is part and parcel with the education so is there some thoughts surrounding that that uh, the college has mm -hmm. for for making sure that there will always be accessible housing mm -hmm. for students yeah i don't know whether you've driven down KLO this last week uh yes i probably have so when the far end of the college the lakeshore end of the college you'll see like the ground being turned over so there's a new student residences new student housing block being built there really yeah so we've got a couple of hundred beds i think i'm saying that right on the colonna campus 100 in vernon and about 50 or so in salmon um so that and that's an investment by the provincial government in student housing we have some beds uh, in Kelowna but we yeah and, and is a couple hundred going to solve the problem no but it'll ease things for some of our international students and domestic students oh they might be traveling and not have a place in Kelowna but it's this I don't know what is the vacancy rate in Kelowna like 0.6 or oh, something maybe. like it's crazy yeah. and and rent is so expensive so yeah um yeah, it's an ongoing challenge for students, for sure. Um, and from the foundation's point of view, that's why the the awards and bursaries that we can work with donors to provide for students are important because they don't have to spend it on their education. It's to support their cost of living, whether it's paying their rent or accessing childcare or whatever. Um, but yeah, housing is housing's a big challenge for students and something that I know, you know, we're we're concerned that will students still want to come, those that are traveling from out of town to mm -hmm. Kelowna, actually anywhere in the Okanagan because of the challenges with finding somewhere to live. And it's certainly a challenge in terms of um, like recruiting staff from out of province. Do they, you know, people want to come to the Kelowna, but they realize it's pretty expensive here. So it can be a challenge. So have you heard of any anybody, because let's face it, a lot of people live in these big luxurious homes mm -hmm. and there may or may not be room. What would you say to people uh, in order to make them maybe perhaps consider uh, opening up a room or part of the, part of their home to a student? Is there any any kind of I don't know your thirty second elevator speech? I guess it would be another. It's another way of investing in a student. Like you may not have, you know, I talked about donors who are giving money, mm -hmm. but if you could provide, you know, a room for a student for the academic year um you know i guess know what kind of impact you would be making to their ability to study um and it's interesting because we're actually considering hosting a student an a student athlete for this year um we've got some challenges because you know those family want to come over from the <laughs> uk and take over all the rooms for the ski season but <laughs> yeah. yeah we're um yeah, we're we're considering it, and you know, I'm I'm looking at it also from the perspective of my son. Like, what what a great role model for him to have. He's only eleven. He's an only one, so he's all for having, you know, a student stay with us. But you know, um, yeah, it's a it's another way of creating an opportunity for that for a student to access education. You know, especially if they're coming out of high school, they're you know nineteen twenty years old. Okay, so we've we've reached 
just about the end here, which has been, it's been fun. It's been fun chatting with you. Now, is there any other housekeeping that we have to do in regards to your role, perhaps with the college? Mm-hmm. Um, is there any other thoughts surrounding your, can we make it easier for you in any way? Well, you know, I've said I don't like to ask, but we're also open to working with donors who might like to invest in education. <laughs> See, well. and the way you said it, it just feels everyone is just busy just writing checks. Well, you know, one, one of the things that I've observed is that, like, the people that know and already give to the college, like, love the institution. But one of the priorities for us, for the from the foundation's point of view over the next few years, is to make sure that more people know about what we do. Um and understand the impact of investing in education. So I think there's a bit of a, um, maybe it's a misconception, maybe it's a misunderstanding that post-secondary education is just funded by the government. Well, it's not. And and uh, government funding for post-secondary education is stagnant at best, declining um, more likely. So we need even more support from the community to be to be successful. And so I would really encourage, and I would like put the offer out there, come to campus and have a look around, have uh, meet some of the students, see some of the facilities that have been made possible thanks to community support. So the new health sciences center on the Kelowna campus is like an incredible facility. Like mm-hmm. it's stunningly designed. It's like the trades training center. It's um, but the facilities and access to learning equipment and spaces that those students are going to have is like it's world class. And I don't know that necessarily the community appreciates, um, appreciates isn't the wrong word, maybe understands what the college does, the programs that we offer and the impact that we have in the community. So like all of my team, we will happily tour anybody around the campus and just talk to you about the opportunities to get involved and support our students and support the campuses um yeah so what would be the best way for people to do that if they they wanted to reach out and and have a tour and or engage with you what is the best way to get a hold of you um you can email me can i give my email address of course course. you can hjackman at okanagan.bc.ca but if you just google okanagan college foundation all of the team's contact details are up there you'll be able to find us. I had the pleasure of dealing, not dealing, discussing, <laughs> dealing. dealing. <laughs> that slipped out. <laughs> Helen Jackman, the executive director of the Okanagan College Foundation. It was a hoot. It was a hoot. From nuclear yeah. to Petawawa to the, you know, we, we, we do have to have another session because I think there's something else to you and your husband meeting because I, I swear... He's a helicopter pilot. Mm-hmm. Do you know where we actually met? Where did you I know you, you want to close this now, but on my mum's honeymoon. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, skiing. Funnily enough, anyway, we'll leave it there. 